All right, guys. So we're going to be in Second Chronicles. So you guys want to go to Second Chronicles chapter 26. And um, if, if you've got to use your table of contents, use your table of contents. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with using your table of contents to find uh, books in the Bible. So Second Chronicles chapter 26. So the thing with, thing with Chronicles and Kings is that, like I said, it, it, it goes into the different kings that, that the nation of Israel had. Um, their first king was King Saul, right? And it was one nation. And then after King Saul was rejected by God, then there was King David, and he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And then um, after David was Solomon, and after Solomon, that's when the, the nation split in two. So then there, there was the, there was, it was referred to as the northern nation of Israel, and then there was the southern nation of Judah. And so they ended up having two kingdoms, the kingdom, not nation, the kingdoms. And so Israel had a line of kings that they had, and then Judah had a line of kings that they had. So there would be a king. And more often than not, you know, as you read Chronicles and Kings, it's like, this king was horrible. He did all these horrible things, and then he died, and then his son became king. And then he was also horrible, and then he did horrible things, and then he died. And so it just keeps going. But every once in a while, especially for the kingdom of Judah, they would have good kings. There would be a guy who would come up and be like, this guy was a good king. He did what was right in sight of the Lord, and then he had a son. And then his son did what was right, but then he had a son, and his son was horrible. And, and you know, just this, this, this crazy cycle that would happen, which is just uh, a picture of who we are as, as God's children, right? Like, we have good seasons, and then we have bad seasons. Um, but So we're going to be looking at one of those good kings and um, just kind of seeing what we can, what we can gain from these, from these verses. And hopefully the Lord can speak to all of us. All right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15 to start off with. And it says this. It says, All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He rebuilt Eloth and restored it to, to Judah after Amaziah the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became, when he became king and reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, as his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him successful. Verse 6, Uzziah went out to wage war against the Philistines, and he tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod, then he built cities in the vicinity of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabs that live in Gerbaal, and the, Me the Meunites. The Ammonites gave Uzziah tribute money, and his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for God made him very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, and the corner buttress, and he fortified them. Since he had many cattle, both in the Judean foothills and the plain, he built towers in the desert and dug many wells. And since he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and the fertile lands. Uzziah had an army equipped for combat that went out to war by division according to their assignments, as recorded by Jael, the court secretary, and Masaiah, the officer under the authority of Hananiah. 
one of the king's commanders. The total number of heads of families was 2,600 brave warriors. Under their authority was an army of 307,500 equipped for combat, a powerful force to help with the king against the enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and sling stones. He made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and catapult large stones for use on the towers and on the corners. So his fame spread even to distant places, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. We'll, we'll stop there. So all that stuff basically just saying how Uzziah was blessed. Like Uzziah was blessed. Everything that he set out to do, he was able to do it. And the Lord was the one who was giving the favor. The Lord was the one that was accomplishing everything on behalf of Uzziah. And before we get into the key of Uzziah's success, um, let's flip over to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 1. And again, if you have to use your table of contents, that's okay. There's no shame in that. The book of Isaiah, chapter 1. All right, and so we're going to start reading Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, is what it says in verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this is how a lot of the, the prophets, they start, like they let you know who wrote it and when they wrote it. So Isaiah was, was, was writing these things during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, but Uzziah is the, the one that we really want to focus on considering what we just read in Second Chronicles. So just keep in mind that these are words that the Lord is speaking through Isaiah during the reign of Uzziah, who is described as a king who did what was right in the Lord's sight. Just keep that in mind. Uzziah was a king who did what was right in the Lord's sight. And this is when Isaiah is writing this, these, these first verses. So this, this is what the Lord says through Isaiah. Let's go to verse 2. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children, is God speaking. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt and the whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores, not cleansed, not bandaged, not soothed with oil. And we'll stop there. But this kind of language continues on. It's just an indictment against God's people given by God himself, just indicted, just calling them out for all of the things they're doing. He's saying that all of these things, he, he, all of he's saying how, how depraved they are, how evil they are, how disobedient they are. He's saying all of these things while there is a king ruling who is doing what is right in the Lord's sight. So how does this make sense? How is it that the king is praised as doing what is right in the Lord's sight while at the same time God is sending a prophet to bring an indictment against that very same kingdom that this king is reigning over. Well, let's flip through our Bibles once again, and let's go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 15. 
2 Kings chapter 15. There should have been a warning before tonight's message. You're going to be flipping through your Bibles. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 15. Again, the question that I'm asking is how is it that this king is being praised, King Uzziah is being praised as a king who, who did what was right in the Lord's sight. He had all this success, and at the same time, Isaiah, God through Isaiah is bringing an indictment against that very same kingdom. Well, let's read 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 1. In the 27th year of Israel's king Jeroboam, Azariah, which is the same as Uzziah for those of you. He's, he's referred to by a different name in the book of, of Kings for some reason, but that's Uzziah. So, uh, in the 27th year, Israel's king Jeroboam, Azariah, or Uzziah, son of Amaziah, became king of Judah. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah, who was from Jerusalem, so see, it's the same guy. Verse 3, Azariah, or Uzziah, did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Same thing. Verse 4, yet the high places were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. And we'll stop there. So although King Uzziah did what was right in the sight of God, and the Lord's favor was on his reign, the people were still acting up. The people were still involved in their idolatries. The people were still rebelling against their God. And here's what I want to encourage you guys with tonight. You keep going after the Lord. You keep going after the Lord, regardless of what the people around you are doing. You keep going after God. You keep reading your Bibles. You keep studying your word. You keep spending time with God in private prayer and in that private, intimate worship and praise with him. You keep meeting with the body, fellowshipping with the body, just like they did in the book of Acts, devoting yourself to the teaching of God's word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and devoting yourself to prayer. You keep doing these things. And do not get discouraged or distracted by the mess that is going on around you. Don't get discouraged by that, the disobedience that is going on around you the rebellion against God that is going on around you. Even from your own people, amongst the so-called brothers and sisters, even if your own brothers and sisters in Christ are falling into all kinds of compromise and all kinds of sin, you keep seeking the Lord and doing what is right in his sight. Keep doing it. Your discipline and your obedience they need not depend on what others are doing. It shouldn't depend on what others are doing. God is your father, and he has a relationship with you. It's not a relationship between God and you and your brother, or you and God and your sister, or you and God and your spouse. No, that's not the relationship that we have. It's you and him, and that's it. So regardless of what your brothers and sisters are doing, Regardless of what the people around you are doing, you keep going after God in love and in truth. Keep going. You keep being obedient to God's call on your life, which according to John chapter 6, verse 29, 
is to believe in him and all of the implications that come with that belief. God's call on all of our lives, the work of God, is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And that belief will have implications. So you keep seeking the Lord regardless. Because while the people, going back to Chronicles and Kings, while the people were getting scolded and they were getting reprimanded by the Lord, what was King Uzziah experiencing? What was King Uzziah experiencing? He was experiencing the favor of God. He was experiencing the favor of God. And what was the reason that he was experiencing the favor of God? Well, the key to King Uzziah's success, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5, where it says, As long as he sought the Lord, God made him successful. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him successful. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5. As long as he was seeking the Lord, God was giving him success. And he had a lot of success. Everything he was doing was prospering. Again, why? Because he was seeking the Lord. He was seeking the Lord. And not, not necessarily the, the outward, self-satisfying, self-gratifying success, but the success that says, I am following after the Lord. I am seeking him. And it is for that reason, his will in my life is being accomplished. That's why. Whatever that means. If that means money, no money, great influence, or if it means all you're affecting or is, a, is a few lives, a handful of lives in your life, it's all being done for the kingdom of God, for the proclamation of Jesus and for his glory. You know, we don't, we don't view success the way that the world views success. It's not necessarily about the end result of the big paycheck or, or whatever. It's not necessarily about the end result, but it's about the obedience that happens throughout the process. It's about your obedience throughout the process. Colossians chapter 4 says that God's will for our lives is our sanctification. That's God's will for our lives, is our sanctification, our holiness. He has called us to be pure. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all to what? The glory of God. This is the will of God in our lives. Do all to the glory of God. So God is much more concerned with our character and the intentions of our heart rather than the end result of financial success or climbing a ladder or whatever it is that you equate to being successful. God is way more concerned with your character and your heart. God wants your heart. Psalm 34 it says to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's amazing, right? Well, I believe it says that because when you, when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you do that, the desires of your heart will change to those that are pleasing to him. The desires of your heart will, will, will switch because you're, 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 you're delighting yourself in him. And so your desires won't be the same. It'll change from, God, help me to be successful so that I can retire early, so that I can drive this and take these trips and wear these clothes. And it'll switch to, God, help me to become more like Jesus. Help me to become more like Jesus so that I'll be willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. Whatever. Even if it means my dreams and my goals don't get accomplished. 
So Uzziah, he was seeing massive amounts of success because he was seeking the Lord. But what does that mean exactly? Like he was seeking the Lord. What, what does that mean? Well, in Psalm 1, that's a psalm that tells us about a successful person. Psalm 1 tells us about a person who, whatever he does, he prospers. That's what it says. A person who, they stay away from sin. They avoid sin, is what it says in Psalm 1. It's a person who does not find their companions among sinful people. In Psalm 1, it's a person who delights in and meditates on God's word. They meditate on it. That person, that person who stays away from sin, who doesn't make his companions among sinful people, and who delights in and meditates on the word of God, this person is like a tree who's planted near streams of water. That tree, that person is always going to flourish. Everything they do is going to succeed. And why is that? Because God's word is living and active. God's word is living and active. The word of God gives grace. The word of God gives peace. The word of God creates something out of nothing. You look at creation. How was everything created? By God's word. The word of God not only creates something out of nothing, the word of God also recreates something good that started out as something wicked. Us, our hearts. That's what the word of God does. The word of God transforms and renews the mind to the point where you can have massive abundance or you can be in great need and you will still bless and praise God the same because it's not about the end result. It's about the obedience that happens throughout the process. It's about the obedience. And that obedience that happens throughout the process, it creates a person who will be content in any situation. You will be content in any situation. Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going to return. God gives. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's amazing. So I encourage all of you again, Keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord, regardless of the disobedience that may be happening around you. And make sure, this is important, make sure that in all of your seeking, that in all of your efforts, and all of your victories of obedience, remain humble. Remain humble. That's super important. Don't get puffed up. Don't become arrogant. Don't become conceited and start to think of yourself more highly than you ought. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the Corinthians that knowledge makes one conceited. Now, in 1 Corinthians 8, the context of that, it was, um, there was people who were, who were saved out of, out of an idolatrous lifestyle. And Paul was saying that, look, we know that there are no idols. We know that there's only one God. So we know that we can go to the meat market, and in, the, in those days, a lot of the animals are sacrificed to these idols, to these false gods. It's like, hey, we, we know that these idols aren't real, so we know that we can go to the, to the marketplace, we can buy meat that was sacrificed to idols, we can buy that meat, we can eat that meat, and there's no problem. Like, we know that, because there's only one God. But he's like, but you guys need to be careful with that knowledge, because there are some among you, some of your brothers and sisters, whom Christ died for, that when they see you eating that meat, because they got saved out of that, 
they still see that whole thing as being evil. And so when you go to that marketplace and you buy that meat that was sacrificed to that idol, even though you know it's no problem, you're going to be making your brother or your sister stumble because they're going to see you with your knowledge and just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Oh, no. And they're going to stumble because of that. That's why Paul said, we all know that knowledge makes one conceited. Because it's not, it's not and, and then Paul ends that by saying, look, if meat is going to make my brother or sister stumble, I'll never eat meat again. See, because it's not about the knowledge that you've accumulated. It's about the love that gets produced from that knowledge. Like, yeah, I know there's no big deal with eating that meat. I know there's no big deal with watching that thing. I know that there's no big deal with going to that place. Like, in, in, fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with doing that thing. But I know that I have a brother or sister who is struggling with that. So I'm not going to do that. Even though I know, I'm not going to allow my knowledge to make me conceited and cause my brother or sister to stumble. So we know that there is a danger for those who pursue the Lord and for those who pursue the Lord successfully, those that are growing in the Lord. There is a danger for them to become puffed up and to become arrogant about all of the knowledge that they're accumulating. But like Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that you did not receive from God? What do you have that you did not receive from God? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Straight up, everything that we have, everything that we have, it comes from God. It's from God's grace. Everything. Everything. There's not a single thing that we have. Every bit of knowledge that we have attained, every bit of discipline that we are able to exercise, every, every, every bit of obedience, every, all of it, it all comes from God's grace in our lives. It's all God's grace. The very fact that we have even come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ is God's grace. You didn't produce that. Not a single one of us produced that. There's not a single one of us that could produce that. Everything that we have is by the grace of God. Everything that we have, we've received it from God. So why do you act as if you have not received it? As if you're the one who has this. You're the one who produced this. You didn't produce it. It's not something that you came up with on your own. God gave you everything. Nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. And that includes any success in the Lord. That includes any progress in the Lord Anything that includes all of it. And trust me, just because maybe you're in a season right now where you are progressing very quickly in the Lord. Maybe there's some of you out here, you're just like, man, I'm, I'm just getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting so much. I'm gaining so much. It doesn't always happen that way. It will come to an end at some point. There will be a pause. It's going to stop. It's not going to continue indefinitely. You will come to a place where getting into the Word is going to be a struggle you will come to a place where spending time with Jesus is going to feel more like a burden. It will happen because that's just what this walk is. It's ups and downs, hills and valleys, struggles and victories. That's what this walk is. And when that time comes, when you are in a place of struggle, you're going to need your brothers and sisters to come alongside you to encourage you, to strengthen you, to pray for you, to help you to make up for what is lacking in your life. I've, I've known many people like this, and I have been that person. 
I've known many people where it's just like you look at them and it's just like, man, this, this, this is the same this, every, every week. Every week it's the same thing. Like, why, why do you keep struggling? Why are you still struggling with this thing? Why? Why? Well, maybe the Lord is allowing them to be in a weakened state so that you, in your strong state, can come alongside them and pray for them and help them and encourage them. So right now, those of you who are in a place of great success and great obedience in the Lord, look out for your brothers and sisters who may be struggling. God has made you strong right now so that you can strengthen your weaker brothers and sisters. And there will come a day when you will be weak and your brothers and sisters will be there to strengthen you. So remain humble. Remain humble in your time of, of great victory and a, a prosperous walk in Christ or else you will get humbled. If you don't keep yourself humble, you will get humbled. The Lord will humble you. And that's a scary thought. That's a very scary thought. Let's look back to Second Chronicles 26. It's where we started the night, so it's appropriate. This is where we'll end the night. But Second Chronicles 26. So King Uzziah, he began to reign at age 16, which is crazy. And he did what was right in the Lord's sight, despite the people around him continuing to run wild. And he remained faithful and he sought the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord the Lord would give him success. Uh, but now let's read what happened to him when he didn't keep himself in check. So 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and we're going to start at verse 16. This is speaking of Uzziah. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was untrue to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been untrue and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with the censer in his, in his, in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they quickly removed him from there. And he himself also hurried to get out because the Lord had stricken him. King Uzziah had leprosy to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, afflicted as he was with leprosy, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and his son Jotham was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. And we'll stop there. So Uzziah, he got so confident in himself that he attempted to do something that only the priests were authorized to do, which was to light incense. He stepped outside of his lane. He thought of himself more highly than he ought. And when the priests all 81 of them, 81 priests, when they came and they confronted him, to, they, they told him that he was wrong. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. And he was about to continue to do the thing that he was intending to do, continuing to step outside of his lane. But the, then the Lord hit him with leprosy, and it stopped him right in his tracks. 
Uzziah could have humbled himself when he was confronted. When 81 priests confronted him about what he was doing, he could have just been like, you know what, you guys are right. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being so arrogant right now. I'm being so proud. I, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. He could have put the censor down and then repented of, his, repented of his sin, but he didn't. He didn't. He was going to continue to do it anyway. The Lord humbled him. The Lord humbled him, and he was never the same. He was never the same after that. What started out, 2 Chronicles 26, what started out as an amazing testimony of this king who was seeking the Lord, it ended as a cautionary tale of someone who forgot that everything that he accomplished during his life came from God. He forgot it. So take heed, all of us, take heed, lest we fall in the same exact way. I don't believe that we'll get hit with leprosy. I really don't. And I also don't believe that any humbling or discipline from the Lord, um, that it would be as permanent as the leprosy was in Uzziah's life. But the Lord will humble us if he needs to. He will discipline us if he needs to. Because he lives inside of us. Us believers, he lives inside of us. And these temples, they need to be clean. They need to be holy. Earlier I was, I was praying for, for the, the leaders and the volunteers who, who, who are here at Zeal. And I was reminded of, I think it's Deuteronomy 23 or 22. But I was reminded of this scripture when the, the Israelites, they're about to go to war. And they're all, they're all in the camp, they're, they're, you know, it's like the night before, and the Lord is walking through the camp. And it's, it's interesting to me, I it sticks out of my mind because it has to do with poop, but um, the Lord is walking through the camp and he's like telling everybody, all right, get ready, and if anybody, if, any, if anybody needs to, you know, drop something, like, do it outside the camp, because you need to keep the camp clean. This camp needs to be clean. My people, my camp needs to be clean. Get, get, all, get all, forgive me if this is too French for you, get all the crap out of my camp. Get, get, just get it all out of my camp. It should not be in my camp because we're about to go to war. So get it out. Don't know why I brought that up. Was it because I just want to talk about poop? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we li God lives inside of us. We, God, thank you, Jesse. We, yes, so God lives inside of us. And um, so, yeah, these bodies, they need to be holy. They need to be clean. They need, that's what it is. Yes, they need to be clean. So we need, we need to, and so the Lord will humble us. If there's, if there's ever any instance of any dung in our lives, the Lord will humble us because we are his temple, us believers, his children. And we need to be clean. We need to be holy. So keep pursuing the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. It doesn't matter what you got going on around you, regardless of what your brothers and sisters are doing. If your brothers and sisters are falling, if they're compromising, if they're willingly falling into sin, don't worry about that. Regardless of what the world is doing, the world is going to do what the world does. And they're going to reap the fruit of their deeds. But you keep seeking. You keep seeking the Lord. And you watch the Lord prosper you. If you keep seeking God, you watch the Lord prosper you. And he's going to prosper you in a way that makes the most sense for his glory. 
Too many people, they make the success of the Lord, they make the Bible about them. That Bible that you guys are holding, the Bible that we study, it's not about us. It's about God. And so as you seek the Lord, the Lord is going to prosper you and give you success, and he's going to give you the, prosper, the, the prosperity and the success that corresponds with giving him the most glory possible. So it may not be what you're envisioning. And don't forget that in all of your prospering, all of your success in the Lord, remain humble. Remain humble. Remember from whom all of your good gifts come from. They come from the Father of lights. They come from God. So serve your brothers and sisters. Serve your brothers and sisters. Don't use your brothers and your sisters to make yourself feel superior. You know, looking at their lack of knowledge or, or their lack of understanding or their lack of discipline in this particular season in their life and thinking like, are you all right? Like, you need to get on my level. No. But use this time to serve your brothers and sisters. Serve them. And keep First Chronicles 26.5 in mind this week. I want you guys to keep this in mind. Just keep it in the front of your mind. First Chronicles 26.5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him successful. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him successful. Amen? Well, for those of you who maybe you're new, I mean, I just met you, and... I don't know where you are, I'm not going to make any assumptions, and I'll address everybody. If there's anybody in here, maybe, you know, all of this stuff didn't make any sense, right? Because it's like, man, what are you talking about? Talking about holiness and seeking the Lord and all these things. Like, if it didn't make sense to you, don't worry, because it's not supposed to make sense to you. It's not message isn't for you. That encouragement, none of that encouragement was for you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, none of that, none of that was for you. This is only for the believers. This is for, for God's children. So none of this was meant for you. However, the ability to become God's child is for everybody. It's for everybody. It's, it's available to everybody. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says this, that whoever receives him, to them, to those that receive him, to them, God gives the right to become his children. You know, there's a lot of people out there that say, you know, just being born as a part of the human race, that we're all God's children. We're all God's children. That is inaccurate. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that to those that receive him, to those he gives the right to become the children of God. You know, just being in this country doesn't give you the rights of, of United States citizenship. You need to become a citizen to, to rightfully have all of those rights. Same thing. Just... Being a human does not make you a child of God. You have to believe. You have to receive him. You have to be born again. You have to be born of God. And just very quickly, very simply, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get a chance to share the gospel. <laughs> I was in bed. So I want to share the gospel tonight. I want to share it. Even, hey, y'all might all be believers. I don't care. We all need to hear the gospel. In the book of Romans, Paul says, as he's writing the believers in Rome, he said, I am eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel to you. He didn't say I'm eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel on street corners next to, you know, the statues and all that. He said, I'm eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel to you. He's writing to believers. Why is he eager? 
to go and preach the gospel to believers because we all need to hear it. We all need to hear the gospel. We all need to be reminded of what the gospel is. And so this is the gospel. We are all born dead in our sins and our trespasses, every single one of us. This is, this is something that we've inherited from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God in the garden. We disobey God in L.A. or in Indiana or in whatever other freaky places you guys are from. Uh, you're from the Pacific Northwest, right, John? Pencil, okay, even worse. Like, you know, it's just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. L.A. is the worst. L.A. is, I'm not even from L.A. I'm from Orange County. I'm from down south, baby. That's better. But anyway, wherever you are from, you inherited this sin nature from your forefathers, Adam and Eve. And so now you just sin. We just sin. We just, you are slaves to sin. I have young children. I don't have to teach them to do wrong. I have to teach them to do right. I don't have to tell my son, hey, lie. No, no, no. I have to say, hey, tell the truth. Are you telling me the truth? Because we are naturally born sinners and we're very good at it. We are very good at these sinful lifestyles that we have. And because of that, we're all going to stand before God, dead in our sins and our trespasses, breaking every single one of God's laws. The Bible says that if we've broken one law, we've broken all of them because the, same, the God that said do not murder is the same God that said do not commit adultery. So if you don't murder, okay, but if you commit adultery, then you committed murder as well because the, the God that said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you break one law, one of God's laws, you're guilty of all of them every time you break one of God's laws exponential growth of sins, exponential compounding debt of sin that is accumulating in your life and in your heart. And when you stand before God, he's going to look at all of that compounding debt and he's going to say, you're innocent. I'm a loving God. So it's no, that's not what he's going to say. And I'll, and I'll prove it to you. If anybody was caught, if, if somebody raped and murdered your family members and they get caught, and they get sent before the judge, and the judge says, I'm a loving judge, I'm a forgiving judge. You can go free, which is basically what's happening in LA County right now. But if, if that were to happen, you would be screaming, injustice, that is not right, because it isn't, because it isn't. Likewise, God isn't gonna forgive you either. God isn't just gonna let you go free either. All of our sins have created for us a debt that we cannot pay. So when we go and stand before God, when we die, he's going to look at us. He's going to see all the laws that we've broken, and he's going he's to declare us guilty. And the punishment for our sin against a holy and infinite God is an infinite eternity in hell with no chance of getting out. That's justice. But this God loved us so much. He loved us so much. That instead of allowing that just to happen, and no one could fault him if he were to just let it happen, but instead of just allowing that to happen, he took care of the problem for us. He sent his son, his perfect, the perfect and spotless lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We looked at it two weeks ago when I was here. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sent his son into the world for the sole purpose of dying a horrifying death of taking the punishment of our sins on the cross, all of our sins, past, present, and future of every single human being that has ever existed in humanity. That's what Jesus did when he suffered on the cross. Isaiah 53 says that it pleased God 
to crush this suffering servant. Why would it please God to crush his one and only son? Because when his one and only son was on the cross, he was no longer his one and only son. When his one and only son was on the cross, he became all of your sins, all of them, for all humanity. And in that moment, he no longer saw Jesus, my son, the Lamb of God. Well, yeah, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that he would crush. And he crushed his son under the full weight of his wrath, and he took it all. He took it all. But then he also rose again from the dead. He rose again. He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. God declaring that this sacrifice is enough. This sacrifice is adequate. This sacrifice is perfect. Finally, you bring me a perfect lamb, and actually, I'm the one who provided it. We didn't give it to him. He provided it himself. He came willingly, and he did it. And so now, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's something that's available to all of us, but it's not going to be forced on you. Like the verse I read, to those that receive him, those are the ones that he gives the right to become children of God. It's not just... It's not just here, take it. You have to take it. It's here. It's available. It's a free gift. Take it. Please take it. First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5 or 6, it says that I'm up here. For those of you who maybe don't know Jesus, I'm up here. I'm begging you on Christ's behalf. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe is begging you. He's begging you to be reconciled to him. Please, please be reconciled to me. Please accept this free gift of love. Please receive this gift so that you can be my child. I am begging you, please receive this gift. He is begging you. What? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves you so furiously. He gave his only son. So now through that faith in Jesus Christ, you can be born again, new heart, new desires, and the greatest thing of all, when this life is over, God's going to look at us innocent. Innocent, because you are covered in the blood of my son. Enter into the joy of your master. Come on in. Come on in, child. Get, get your butt in here right now. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for thank you for being God. Thank you for creating us. Thank you that you had this whole thing figured out before the foundation of the world. All of it. Before you said a word in, in your creation process, you knew that Adam and Eve were going to disobey. You knew that all of their descendants were going to be born in sin. You knew that we were all going to need salvation and forgiveness. But you also knew that you were always going to be the one providing it. You knew. You always knew, God. And so I thank you, God, that, that you actually followed through on this thing that you intended to do and that you didn't just let us die in our sins. You could have. Who could bring a charge against you, God, if you were to do that? Nobody. But thank you 
that you went the route of grace. Thank you that you went the route of love. And thank you that you went the route of justice, Lord. Because, like, because of what your son did, because of what Jesus did, because you, you, you didn't just forgive us, you actually had to punish the sin, but you punished it in your son, so now we don't have to. There's nothing that we can do to try to take the punishment, and I thank you for that. Because if, if you wouldn't have punished sins in Jesus, there would still be a punishment left. And we'd still be left wondering, okay, when is it coming? Is it coming? I don't know. But now we don't have to worry because you poured all of it out on your son. You took care of all of it. And so, God, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for what you've done. I pray for your people here tonight. I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that they would leave tonight uh, feeling just like renewed in their spirit that they would have this new zeal, this new passion to, to go after you, to seek you, to pursue you. And I pray for those that maybe were far off tonight. They came, maybe they know you, but they were just far off. God, I pray that you would draw them into you, God. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you at all, Lord, I pray, Father, for them as well, that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes, that they would be able to see the truth of the gospel. I pray for those that would be listening to this message later, that you would open their eyes, that they would come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and that you would fill them with your spirit, give them the power to repent, cause them to be born again, and cause them to to have this desire, to have this relationship with you, to seek you, to study your, your word, and to be with your people. I just pray that you'd bless this final time of worship. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.